Good morning. Um, today's scripture reading comes from Mark, uh, chapter 4, verse 35 through 41. And um, if you're able, could you please stand with me for the reading? On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And the other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep, On the cushion, and they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear. And said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Amanda, for reading God's word to us. Good morning. New Hope, it is really, really good to be here with all of you, church, and with the guests who are here today. You are visiting with us. We're super happy that you could be here with us. Look forward to getting to know you if you're, if you're new around here. Um, I've got two questions that I'd like you to consider today. Two questions that I want to encourage you to think carefully about. So, now, Distractions aside, I've got two questions. I really want, I'm going to encourage you to really think about these questions carefully. Focus in on them. Zone in on them. They're pressing questions. Who is Jesus, number one? And number two, does he care? Who is Jesus? Does he care? Does he care about us? Does he care about you personally? Both these questions come straight from the scene that Amanda just read To us, Jesus asks these specific questions. Jesus' disciples ask them, I should say. They ask them in this moment of intense, desperate fear. Verse 38 And they woke him, Jesus, and they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And then verse 41. And they were filled with great fear, and they said to one another, Who then is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? So who is Jesus, and does he care? And, and I'm pleading with you to answer those questions for yourself, to wrestle with them. So, so, so please, listen to what happened on, on the sea on that evening, 2,000 or so years ago. Consider what it means And then respond to those two questions as best you can and seek to do it honestly and, and thoughtfully. Because like I said, they are pressing questions. What you truly believe about these questions and how you respond to Jesus in light of them, it will in fact shape your life. And it'll shape how you experience eternity as well. So the first question, who 
is Jesus. In a sense, he's been revealing himself to us gradually through this gospel of Mark. We've already seen him heal people. We've seen him make bold, provocative statements and claims about himself. And then most recently, over the past couple of weeks, we've seen him teaching people about the kingdom of God. And he's been doing it right here on on the banks of the Sea of Galilee. But then in verse 35, we read, On that day, after a long day of teaching, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And we're going to find out very soon that after this long day of teaching these crowds, Jesus now has something to teach his disciples. But he's not going to do it on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. He's going to do it out there in the middle of those waters. And so verse 36 says, Leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And by the way, that, that little detail means that other people were there on the sea that night. They saw what happened next. Verse 37, a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. Now now try to imagine that scene. It's evening, so perhaps it's dark. And there are waves slamming against the side of this vessel. and, and, And it's making its way into the vessel so that the water is rising inside the boat. This is a frightening scene. The Sea of Galilee, I've got a a photo of it here. I don't know how well it'll project, but the Sea of Galilee sits about 700 feet below sea level, okay? But then about 30 miles north, and you can maybe see it in the distance, those white, that white kind of, (laughs) that white kind of object in the back, that's Mount Hermon. 30 miles to the north, and Mount Hermon is about 9,200 feet above sea level. So what happens, I'm told, I'm no meteorologist, but when cold air from, the, from that mountain makes its way down and, and meets the warm air over that sea, it causes violent thunderstorms. And so locals would have been used to this. They, they'd seen storms on the Sea of Galilee. But there was something especially threatening about the storm on this particular evening. And he, here's why we know that. Because the disciples on board were freaking out. They were in utter panic. And you must remember that some of these disciples, they were professional fishermen whose dads were fishermen. They had been out on this sea since childhood. They had experienced everything this sea had to offer. They'd sailed out there for many, many years, and yet... Yet, apparently, on this particular evening, they thought they were going to die. It was that bad. Some of you probably heard about the American Airlines flight that dropped 15,000 feet through the sky recently. Did you hear about this? That that flight, I think it was going from from, uh, Charlotte to Gainesville or or from Gainesville to Charlotte. But in any case, it dropped 15,000 feet over the course of three minutes. That means that if you were on that flight for three solid minutes, you were dropping out of the sky. Now, I wonder what those three minutes were like for those passengers. I read one report. It read, quote, tensions were high on board as the plane dipped and oxygen masks fell. End quote. I think that's that's a major understatement. Because 15,000 feet is not a dip. Tensions were high. Yes, I'm sure they were. 
I suspect that people were freaking out. Now, apparently, the crew was able to, to stay calm, which I'm sure helped everyone on board. But what if, what if the crew didn't stay calm? What if the crew lost it? And, and, and even, even, even the captain could be heard screaming from the cabin, we're all going to die. Now, now, when you hear that, that's when you know as a passenger that you are in trouble. Well, on this boat, on this evening, the crew apparently lost it. And we're shouting, we're going to die. Imagine how the non-fishermen on board felt that night. Because there were some non-fishermen there among the disciples. Imagine Matthew. We read about him a few weeks back. He was a tax collector, a pencil pusher of sorts. Imagine what Matthew was thinking on the boat that night. He's like, why did I get on this thing? They, they said it was safe. What was I thinking? They, they told me more people die on donkey accidents than, than on the ocean. And here I am, and I'm going to die tonight. It was a wild scene. And what made it wilder was that Jesus was sleeping through it all. And what made it wilder still is what he did when he woke up. Let's look at what he did when he woke up again. Verse 38, but Jesus was in the stern, the back of the boat, asleep on the cushion. Interesting little detail. There was a cushion there apparently, and he was asleep on it. It may have been a sandbag, makeshift cushion. But they woke him up, and they said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? We're dying already. And he awoke, and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Panic turned into serenity. The wind went silent. The waves went to sleep. Someone's described this as, it's like a a parent quieting an unruly child. And I thought, no, this is is further than that. Because I've I've, I've tried to quiet unruly children, and and it's it's not this easy. (laughs) We, We sometimes have trouble even quieting ourselves, our own emotions, our own actions. Jesus quieted the wind and the waves. And if you've ever been in a storm on on the water, you know that even when the storm ends and the the winds die down, it still takes a long time for the waves to calm. Sometimes hours go by and the waves are still pounding. But not this time. Not this time. Mark says a a great calm settled on the sea. And the the term great calm there, it, it means complete stillness. It was like glass, as it were. Now, this is more than amazing, and it's meant to hit us as more than amazing. It's meant to show us who Jesus is, because that's what this gospel's been doing from the beginning, showing us in, 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 in flashes and scenes who is Jesus. Now, the disciples have already seen him do some miracles, but there's something different about this miracle. And in fact, for us to see that, we need to, to understand it in the context of the whole Bible. Here's what I mean. For instance, the disciples knew, because they, they were all young Jewish men, they all knew the story of Israel's exodus from Egypt. Perhaps some of you are familiar with that story. As part of rescuing his people from Egypt, one of the more memorable scenes that took place in that history was when the people of Israel arrived at another sea, the Red Sea, and Moses split that sea so that the Israelites could walk across on dry land. Moses split the sea. Or did he? Did he really? 
Let's look at what it says in Exodus 14, 21. It says, then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind. (laughs) The sea and the wind. And all night and made the sea dry land and the waters were divided. So who really, who really split the sea? It wasn't Moses. It was the Lord. It was the Lord. It was not Moses, after all, who controlled the wind and the waters, but God himself. The disciples would have known that. It's an important point in the story. Moses was a hero, but he was not the hero of the story. God himself was. And these disciples would have also known the story of Elijah. Elijah, a prophet, had once prayed for a drought to end and for water to come down from the sky. And God sent rain. Elijah prayed. God sent the rain. Moses held out his arms. God split the sea. But this here, this scene in Mark 4 is completely different. Because it says, Jesus awoke and rebuked the wind. And he said to the sea, be still. This man commanded nature. He did not communicate with a higher power. He is, in fact, the higher, highest power. He told the elements what to do. And they recognized his voice. And they obeyed. No one had ever done this before. No one's ever done it since. No one would even dare try to do this. To stand at the shores of a mighty ocean or sea and say, stop, waves. And so the disciples, their response is really understandable. It says in verse 41, they were filled with great fear. And they said to one another, who is this? That even the wind and the sea obey him. You see, there's only one who could do this. And it's God himself. This, this was a basic aspect of ancient Jewish thought. We see it all over the Psalms, for instance. I'm going to show you a couple of examples. Psalm 65, it says, Praise is due to you, O God, who stills the roaring of the seas. We heard it in today's call to worship. As Robert read to us also from the Psalms, the voice of God is over the waters in authority over, in control of the waters. Psalm 33 says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and the breath of his mouth all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in the storehouses. What the psalm shows us is that the reason God can control the deeps and the waters of the sea is because he created them by his word. If his word is powerful enough to bring seas into existence, certainly his word is powerful enough to bring seas under submission. Ancient cultures knew this, just as many of us know, that the fury of the sea is uncontrollable, it's unforgiving. Only the sea's creator could control it. My family just spent uh, a week near the ocean. And I love it there. I love the ocean. I, it's, it is my happy place. The smell, the sound, the rolling expanse of waves. It, it really is, for me, the best place on earth. But I'm, I'm scared of it, too. Aren't you scared of the ocean, even if you do love it? That's why when we go to the beach, what do we do? We play on the very edge 
of the sea, don't we? I mean, we might feel like we're going way out there into the ocean, but if you could look down from a satellite, we've barely even stepped off the beach. We play on its edges because we're afraid of its depths. If you have kids, you take them to the beach, you stay alert, don't you? You try to, at least. You may sit back and say, ah, let me relax. And as soon as you start to relax, you say, where is she? Where's my baby? Oh, there she is, digging in the sand. It's okay. And 30 seconds later, where did she go? Why? Because there's this constant tension. When, when, When our kids go in the water, we're nervous. We want them to be brave, but not too brave. <laughs> There's nervousness, but Jesus slept while his friends were tossed by the waves. Why? He was unbothered. Why? Mark is revealing something about Jesus' identity that we need to see. When, when, when we saw it already in some ways, but, but the, the evidence is compiling. It, it's accumulating. We saw this when Jesus said, in previous chapters, that he has the authority to forgive sins. He said this. Later, he showed that he had the authority to cleanse unclean people. Later, he claimed that he had authority over God's law and over the Sabbath. And what we see with all of that is that that these are all things that only God can do. Only God can forgive, ultimately. Only God can purify, ultimately. Only God has authority over his own law. Because it's his. And the disciples all knew that. It wasn't lost on them. But here he was, again, in the most obvious and dramatic way yet, Jesus was saying, not just saying, but showing that he is God. Colossians 1.16 says about Jesus, by him all things were created. In fact, it tells us that he made them and he owns them. He spoke the wind and the sea into existence for himself. So only he can speak them into submission. That's who Jesus is. So when the disciples woke him up, they must have wanted him to help in some way, right? They were expecting him to, maybe they expect him to bail some water, speak some words of comfort. Maybe he was, they, they were expecting him to, to speed their boat back to shore somehow. But this, speaking to the very elements, they, it says in verse 41 that they were filled with fear. Isn't that interesting? At first, they were afraid of the, of the storm. They felt small in the midst of this huge sea. But now they felt even smaller in the presence of Jesus. Who is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? And, and I wonder if they were all thinking the same thing at the same time, but they were afraid to say it. We are in the presence of God himself. Do you see that? Do you see the identity of Jesus here? Do you see that he is God? How would you answer the question based on what you've seen here? Who is he? The second question we got to ask is, does he care, though? Does he care? When the disciples woke him up, they, they asked him, and they were desperate. They said, they, they may have even been judging him, in fact, because look at the way they said it. They said, teacher, don't you care that we are perishing? Now, now, what he did when he got up showed them that he cared, didn't it? He showed them that he cared. And, but, but this is the point right now, is, is the point where, where many preachers will, will, will sometimes, and I think I've done this too, will pivot at this point 
and, and, and say, not only did Jesus care about them, but he cares about you too. And he's with you in the storms of your life right now. In fact, he's able to quiet the storms in your life right now. And that's true. And it's important. And we're going to get there shortly. But before we get there, we, before we think about that, we need to think about the storms. Before we think about the storms in our life that we're facing right now, before we think about the troubles and the threats that we're experiencing and how Jesus can quiet all that, before we go there, we need to see a deeper, more foundational reality here. You see, to really grasp the message, and I think I alluded to this before, to grasp the message of, of any one part of the Bible, we need to try to understand it in the context of the rest of the Bible. The rest of the Bible will shed light on any particular portion of it that you're in. And so if we do that here, what we'll see is that this scene, it echoes other parts of the scriptures. This scene is like other scenes. And that's intentional. So for instance, when we, when we look at the Old Testament, the ancient Hebrew scriptures, we find that seas, S-E-A, the sea, plays a major role in much of that story. We talked a moment ago about God parting the Red Sea so that his people could escape through it. What happened next in that story? Do you know? What happened when Pharaoh's Egyptian armies tried to chase God's people across the Red Sea on dry ground? The sea closed in on them, didn't it? The sea closed in and submerged them. Exodus 14, 27 says, as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. And not one of them remained. You see, these are people in the, in the narrative, in, this, in the history of Israel, who had oppressed Israel, and they had opposed God. And now they face judgment. And that judgment came in the form of the sea. Earlier in history, way back in Genesis 6, we read that the earth was corrupt in God's sight and the earth was filled with violence and so God determined to send a flood. He would judge the corruption and the violence of the earth with a flood. Chapter 7 and and verse 19 of, of, of Genesis says, And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. In other words, the whole earth became a roaring sea. Do you see the pattern? Do you see the pattern? The seas are strongly associated with God's righteous judgment on sin. And this is in the Psalms, too. And we're meant to see that when we read about this storm on the Sea of Galilee. In order for us to answer the question, does Jesus care, we're meant to see what he did what he did to quiet the roaring waves of God's righteous judgment toward humanity, toward us, toward you. Jesus is God, and he cares so much that he stepped into the world that he created to rescue us from the storm of God's righteous wrath, which we deserve, which we deserve for all the things we've done and all the things we've left undone a fully merited wrath and judgment. He stepped in and experienced it. He experienced the waves of rejection 
and conflict and loss in real time in his own life. He he experienced all the pain of human existence in this fallen world. And then he faced the very hurricane of God's wrath. The whirlwind of judgment deserved by us. He took it all. It's what he came for. So that whoever believes in him will never have to experience the storm of God's wrath. Instead, whoever believes in him gets to experience the serenity and safety of God's presence forever. That, friends, is precisely what he did when he allowed himself to be crucified outside Jerusalem. Less than, less than three years after this evening on the sea and that storm. So does he care? He cared enough to do that. One author, Sinclair Ferguson, he reflects on the disciples' question when they said, Teacher, don't you care that we're perishing? And he says, he says quote, That was the cruelest question they could have asked. Huh. Because the very reason he was in the boat, indeed the world, and the reason he was going to die on the cross was for them, was precisely because he cared. Do you ever wonder if Jesus cares? About you? He was lost so that you could be rescued. He's taken prisoner so that you could be redeemed. He took your guilt so that you could be forgiven. He was forsaken so that you could be adopted and welcomed. The creator himself suffered the curse to free creation from the curse. He cares about this world deeply, and he cares about you. In fact, he was submerged, drowned in the sea of God's righteous justice so that you could pass through and be welcomed into eternal life. You know, there's another account in the Bible that captures all that really beautifully. The book of Jonah was written 500 years before this remarkable evening on the Sea of Galilee. But there are so many similarities between Jonah's story and, and this account. I'll give, I'll give you some of those similarities. Both Jonah and Jesus were once in a boat, in a fierce storm, asleep. The descriptions, if you read them side by side, are almost identical. In both stories, the other passengers, they woke up in the middle of the storm, and they go down to the sleeper, and they said, we're going to die. They're completely panicked. And in both cases, what eventually happens, almost instant, immediately happens, the storm is quieted and the waves are stopped. In Jonah's case, here's how it went down. Jonah said, here's what you need to do to be rescued. If this is the only solution, throw me overboard. Because if I die in the sea tonight, you'll be safe. You know why he said that? Because he knew that the storm was his fault. He had sinned, Jonah had. He had disobeyed God. He had rebelled against God's will. He had brought all this trouble on everyone in the boat that day. And so they complied. They threw him overboard. And the storm stopped. And there was peace and stillness. And it says that in that moment, the sailors all feared the Lord greatly. Does that sound similar? 
except for the being thrown overboard part. Now, 500 years later, Jesus would say, quote, one greater than Jonah is here. And he was talking about himself. Because he knew that one day he would rescue people from the storm of God's judgment. In a sense, he would be thrown overboard. Not because he was to blame, but because he would take our blame. Our own sin deserves God's judgment. We all deserve eternal death. That is, that is separation from God and separation from all that is good. But Jesus, the, the only sinless man to ever live, the only person who didn't deserve to experience the waves of God's righteous anger, he said, if I die, you'll be safe. I will face the storm so that you can experience the serenity of God's presence. And at the cross, it's what he did. He was, like Jonah, willing to be thrown overboard. He was drowned by God's justice. And then on the third day, like Jonah, by the way, he emerged alive, proving that he had taken it all, that there's no judgment left for us. There's no more condemnation, no more wrath left over for those who believe in him. He had taken it all, and he promised that as sure as he had absorbed all that death, he will one day step, stop every storm and every wave of suffering in this world. He will, Jesus will, bring a great calm over all creation. That's what life in his eternal kingdom looks like. It looks like the serenity of his eternal abiding presence. And if you can believe that message, if you can truly internalize it, that, that, that Jesus willingly squared his shoulders, lowered his head, and walked into that and gave himself up to the storm for you, then, then you will know that he cares. And you will know that you will never face condemnation. And he'll never abandon you to the storms that you're in now either. I don't know why he hasn't ended suffering and evil right now. Already. I don't know why he hasn't put it into it. I don't know why he's allowing evil and suffering in your life right now if you are experiencing a storm. But I know he will stop it. He will quiet every storm. And the fact that he was willing to get involved, the fact that he was willing to enter into the storm and suffer himself more than any of us ever will, that's proof. It's proof that he must have some good reason for this. Because he cares. He cares. Believing that in the core of who you are, believing that will give you the power to face anything. Revelation 4, chapter, chapter 4, verse 6, paints this picture. It's, it's, a, it's a vision of what will be, is not yet, but will one day be a reality and will be experienced by all those who have trusted in Jesus. It says, before the throne of Jesus, there will be, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. Picture that. Picture them. It's poetry. It's a metaphor, but picture it. The throne of God and before is a sea, but that sea is no longer raging. It's a sea of glass like crystal, serene and still. It's poetic language to tell us that there will be no more chaos 
No more violence, no more suffering, no more betrayal, no more manipulation, no more assassination attempts, no more hurt. It's perfect peace. It's shalom. I don't know what storms you're experiencing. I'm guessing some of us are in in it. We're in it. I don't know what kinds of storms you are fearing. Maybe you, you see them on the horizon or you worry about future suffering. There's so many possibilities, aren't there? Illness or betrayal or a broken marriage or broken friendships, joblessness, mental health crises, financial catastrophes. It's like if we went around, I think we could all name some kind of storm and we wouldn't have to repeat at all. Because this world is just, it's just a, a mess trouble and suffering. And sometimes the storm isn't even outside of us. The storm is inside. The, the uncontrollable waves of anxiety or sadness that some of us experience, the anger, the sleeplessness. If you're like me, you sometimes wonder if God is even real. Or even worse, even worse, maybe he's real, but does he care? And you begin to think, if you really loved me, God, you, you wouldn't let me go through this. What, what did I do to lose your favor? What did I do to make you angry at me? We must remember, we must remember and believe what Jesus showed his disciples here and what he is showing us. Who is he? Does he care? What do you say to that? If he cares, then he will not allow you to be crushed. If he cares and he doesn't want to hurt you, he doesn't want to crush you, and if he's God, then he must know some things we don't, that you don't. If he is both God and he is both caring, then you can entrust yourself to him. So we thought about those two questions, but as we end here, you know, there, there are two more questions in this scene. Maybe you notice them, but they're questions not that the disciples asked. There's two questions that Jesus asked. In verse 40, he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Those are Jesus' questions. And he wasn't frustrated, by the way. Don't, don't hear a frustrated man when you picture him speaking those words. But he was wisely asking them the questions that they needed to ask themselves. And these are two more questions that we all need to ask ourselves. If he is God... And if he has shown me that he cares, why am I so scared? If he has shown you that he is God, and he has shown you that he cares, how has he shown you? He's shown you here, but has he shown you in personal ways as well? Has he shown you elsewhere in scriptures? Has he proven to you that he cares? Then why are you so scared? Do you still not believe? And again, when Jesus asked that and when I asked that, that's not an impatient question, right? He's not losing patience with them. And it's not even necessarily rebuke. Think of it this way. As a parent, when I've taken my smallest kids, when they were very little, to the, to the, the ocean um, and carried them in or maybe held their hand and they were panicking, I'd often ask them these questions. I'd say, why are you afraid? Why are you afraid? Don't you know I got you? Don't you know I have you? 
Now, I don't ask those questions because I can't understand their fear. I'm not like, what is the matter with you? Why are you, why are you scared? Or because it frustrates me. No, I get it. I get their fear. The waves are bigger and stronger than them. They've never gone this deep before. They're not sure what's going to happen next. So their fear is natural. It's reasonable. But why do we as parents ask those questions anyway? We ask those questions because the hope is that with time, as they hear those questions and, and the waves keep coming, our hope is that with time, as they continue to experience safety in our arms, not long from now, they're going to begin to quiet their hearts. And they're going to begin to know the calm serenity of trusting you, mom, dad. So we keep asking, why are you afraid? Do you still not trust me? This, I believe, was Jesus' disposition towards his disciples that evening. And it's his disposition towards us this morning. Some of you need to answer those initial questions. Who is Jesus? Does he care? Some of you need to to chew on those questions and consider them carefully. and, and, And think for yourself, what more could he do to prove to you who he is and that he cares? What has he already done to show you? But some folks here perhaps have settled those questions, at least intellectually. But now Jesus asks you, if you know who I am and you know I care, why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid of what life is doing to you or of what others can do to you? Do you still not believe? Do you still not believe that you're safe? That you're loved? That you're eternally secure? Well, thanks be to Jesus that it's often in the very waves and the winds of trouble and suffering that he teaches us to trust him. So let's ask him to do that. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you have revealed your identity and your heart and concern for us. We ask that you would give us even more than that. Give us your spirit. Give us the ability to trust you, to truly believe, to rest in knowing that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The judgment and justice have been satisfied on our behalf. And if you cared so much about our eternal well-being, certainly you are not ambivalent or remote in our present suffering. Help us to trust you, Lord. Help us to find strength and to persevere in the midst of whatever we are facing. And we ask that you would use us as your disciples to encourage one another in the midst of storms. It's in your name we ask. Amen.